Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm joined by my host, co-host. Patrick. And here we are to discuss uh, a lot about Alien 3. Patrick and I stumbled upon this article that was shared by our social media guy, Inga, who is amazing. And it discusses the nihilism of Alien 3. And it hit a lot of points that I thought and Patrick thought were salient and worth discussing, discussing. And we hadn't discussed them before. It also has some other things that I actually really disagree upon that they hit in the article which we've discussed a little bit before so we can get to that um this episode also will feature our giveaway contest um we're, we're doing it live right now we're also gonna um, publish this episode in the next week or so so yeah we're having a giveaway we're giving away a shit ton of stuff that's probably worth a couple hundred bucks and we're gonna do this question in two parts it's a very difficult question um there's one part of the question i don't know if i should tell people where the how they look for this answer I'm no you should sure. not because the, the, okay cause th th that will be th that that's the fallback if people can't get it so uh, let it be known i did not have any clue what the fuck jamie was talking about neither did aaron percival who and that i couldn't find it it was amazing <laughs> neither did no aaron. clue what i was talking about neither did charles de Lazarica. like none of us knew what you were talking about and then you pointed it out and we were like oh well, not, so this like, is valid let's, but it's let's a back up let's back up so i bring it up and they're like i think you got that wrong everybody uh, it's, well, it's, Aaron, did, Aaron didn't say. Aaron didn't say that I, he just needed to see a photo. Patrick was like, right, "No, are you sure? Are you sure?" Because he always does me. Um, <laughs> that's fine. I get the, I get shit wrong all the time. However, so yes, we're going to do the question in two parts, just so everyone can listen to the whole episode. But yes, yeah, so let's here we are. Let's start talking about this article and let's talk about this. For first of all, Patrick and I both agree that Alien Three is a masterpiece. Advice for a top spot for both of us. It usually is number, the number one film for me of the Alien series. It depends. Uh, sometimes it, it, it pivots to Alien. It's never Aliens, but it does pivot to Alien. But uh, what, do you, what about you? Is it always number one, or how do you feel? It, 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 when I'm talking about it, it is always number one. When I'm not talking about it, I think Alien is still my favorite. But as soon as Alien 3 comes up and I start discussing it with you, I'm like, oh, this, this is the best one. So it, it will probably always be a little bit in battle for me. Um, before we go more into it, though, can I derail for one second? Because you said derail. something before that I want to I want to derail. Um, so you mentioned Inga posting this, and I just want to do a special shout out for a second because, as people know, we just hit ten thousand likes on Facebook, which is a big milestone for us. And Inga deserves like so much credit for that. I, and I really feel like the work that he does by finding content like this and sharing it day in and day out. I mean, Jamie, you do a ton of work, obviously, on that too. I I do some when I'm on Facebook. But Inga is I'm like, yeah, I, I don't like social media. Patrick's like the but, brains. Like Patrick finesses all this shit. It's good. It looks good because of him. It's, it's. I just like to do as little work as possible, but get as much credit as I can. No, but, but Inga, like, like every time there anything happens at all in the community, Inga is just right on top of it. And and seriously, Inga, in addition to being just one of the most generous, great souls out there, and a, and a wonderful friend, thank you for all you do for this podcast and for these shows and for just your constant support and just. The amazing work that you've done because um you know you, i mean like inga has personally introduced me to things just by virtue of sharing so much that i would never have come across i can't even count how many images it's crazy i remember in the days of wayland Dutani bulletin um i was always like you know i would save every photo or every piece of artwork that people would put up because i just hadn't seen like any of it before you know and so my phone has maybe eight thousand images on it of just alien stuff and and since inga has come on board he's found things that i just i've never seen before and i'm adding yeah. to this repository every day and it's just i know amazing. it's like oh we'll print that out i'll print that out no you won't <laughs> i you know but to. i always want i have a folder <laughs> that I'm, I'm like to print and i have I like 300 of, things i see pictures of ripley i'm like i need that but i already got three that aren't even published or posted <laughs> posted yet Plus, it's crazy alien three poster too but yeah. Too, so man. thank you, Inga. Thank so you, let's Inga. begin. That's, that's, that's my point. Yeah. So I want to start by explaining what nihilism is, what nihilism is. Some people don't know. Um, and the dictionary's uh, definition of nihilism is the rejection of all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. Philosophy, extreme skepticism, maintaining that nothing in the world has a real existence. Historical, the doctrine of an extreme Russian revolutionary party circa 1900 which found nothing to approve of in the established social order whatever um but yeah that's the rejection of all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless and i think that's the tone of alien 3 i mean it's it sort of where you have this band of convicts who have adapted religious and moral principles 
as shaky as they are, but it really hit on this nerve of what Alien 3 is. And for many people, it was a slap in the face to Alien, uh, to Aliens, um, where you have this, the end, and you have this family unit at the end. Oh, honey, we're going to go back to sleep. We're going to, you know, that Americana kick ass. Here we go. Hicks is on board. Every, Ripley saved the day again, only for Ripley to wake up on a prison planet, stripped of everything, which eventually her hair, her surrogate daughter killed, uh, Hicks gone, Bishop more dismembered than he was before, and she's at the ass end of space with a bunch of lifers that no one gives a shit about. And that tone is essentially the nihilism. But Ripley even adapts that tone herself as the movie goes on but i think what's interesting and i think what the article is the writer of the article is getting at is is that the actual tone of the series should be that it should be helpless it should feel hopeless it shouldn't feel like yeah um not to say that we both love aliens it's also a masterpiece in its own right but we i feel like the heart of the tone of the of alien is alien three it's how ripley felt at the end of alien it's this isn't going to end well and you better get ready for it and they're going to kill your daughter and then you're going to fucking autopsy her and we're going to see all that and it's going to she's going to be ripped from you again visually um and to me that's what makes alien three despite some issues that i do have with it amazing and it's such a brave film, and that's something that we talk about a lot. But it really, it really is a brave film. In terms of nihilism, to me, the thing that that when I when I think of that word, I think about is is this meaninglessness idea, right? That that it it doesn't matter. That basically, that no matter what happens, it is meaningless, which is a really obviously a hopeless place to be in. But it's also a place to be in where if you're honest with yourself and that's your worldview, you can find beauty still within it. And what I think a lot of people mistake nihilism for is antinatalism. And I know I'm going to get shit about using vocabulary on this. I'm sorry. But antinatalism is this idea that it's not worth being born, right? And you see that play out in a lot in the works of, you know, Thomas Ligeti, for example, the horror author, amazing author. But his works are basically saying, like, you know, it is, it is not worth coming into this world. Nihilism isn't saying that. Nihilism is saying we are here and it is meaningless. What I love about Alien 3 is that it presents all of these layers of nihilism to us, right? It starts, like you said, from a place of absolute hopelessness, the most hopeless that anybody in this entire franchise has been up to that point in the beginning of the film. It starts with losing that family unit that was the fairy tale ending of Aliens. Like you're saying, it starts with you know a dog being put in jeopardy, right? Which is a card, like the author Daryl uh, Mooney points out, that's like a cardinal rule of cinema. It's like, don't kill the dogs off, right? And it starts with a dog being impregnated, right? At least in the theatrical cut. Um, it starts with a prison colony where everybody's wearing the same clothes and there's no color and there's no light and there's no electricity. There's just nothing. It is completely bare bones and completely monotone and completely meaningless. And what I love about Alien 3 is that in spite of all that, it finds these tiny moments of hope. And the reason why thematically that matters to me is because those tiny moments of hope are what bring me back to Alien time and time again, right? Those tiny glimmers of humanity in spite of the ultimate fucking hopeless, vacuous death that space presents to humanity, that there's little tiny moments that shine through, right? Um, like when, and you know, when Ripley goes back for Jones and, and Alien, that's a great example of that, of this, this tiny little act of kindness and, real, and realism that would get lost in any other film. But in Alien, because it's so thoroughly wrapped up in its own nihilistic outlook, means a tremendous amount. So in Alien 3, where we are being totally wrapped in nihilism over and over and over and over and over again, I mean, told that like, you know, like when Clemens dies, like there goes that, right? Like that that every everything that presents itself as, as potentially hopeful to Ripley is ripped out from under her. The fact that we see Newt being autopsied, as you said, in the brightest light of anything in the whole movie, right? That the, the one thing you can see unmistakably is a child being torn apart, right? It is just, you see blood running out of her. It's just absolutely tragic. And Fincher and you know and everybody else involved in it does not pretend that it's anything but that. It is just absolutely hard to watch the entire time. And yet within that, there are moments of power. There are moments of humanity. And those moments are small, but they are fucking unmistakable. And, uh, and, and I think that it is such a testament to that film 
that in spite of breaking every convention you can possibly set up for a sequel to anything, like, you know, it just completely rips itself apart right at the beginning. Um, it actually creates a new, more honest universe for itself, a universe that is more in line with the themes of the first film than Aliens was, and a universe that is cyclical with the first film, a universe that brings it back down to earth again in a way. Um, and I feel like every time I watch Alien 3, I am just in awe of how brave that film was, even though everybody who made it hated it when they made it. <laughs> you know, there's a reason for that, I think. It was born from pain, but great art is. Tell them the whole place has gone toxic. Are you kidding? Then they won't come here. The rescue team will turn back. Yeah, I know. What are you talking about? Our only hope is that they kill this fucker. Maybe they can do something for you. I don't know. They can freeze you. They can do an operation. They've got the technology. If this organism gets off the planet, it'll kill everything. The company doesn't care about that. They just want it for their bioweapons division, okay? So we can't let them come here. Fuck you. Look, I'm sorry you've got this thing inside you, but I'm getting rescued. I don't give a shit about these stupid prisoners, but I've got a wife, I've got a kid. I'll go home on the next rotation. No, this is hard. I'm gonna send this message back and I need that fucking code. I'm sorry, babe. It's classified. Listen, you stupid little shit. This has got to be done, okay? There are no alternatives! You're not getting it! No fucking way! I, I completely agree, and I really feel like why the movie and one of the reasons why the movie is so incredible is because it feels realistic that Ripley's story was never going to end well it was never going to be this crusade of this pseudo nuclear family unit fighting the aliens with more marines on another on another ship or another planet like did we really want to see that again um and did we want to see newt running around a prison colony i don't know how well that would go over i think it would be kind of sick to be honest with you um i just feel like this was it just feels more honest to her story and it doesn't end well. And even for a while during the film, you see Lu Ripley kind of, she just loses her hope. She loses her, her will to live. And, you know, event, you know, in the beginning she's saying, yes, it's here. You got to believe me. And then she's like, well, we're kind of fucked. Like, and then it presents itself to her and you can just see it in her eyes through Sigourney Weaver's amazing performance that, this sucks and we're fucked and who cares about us and okay yeah maybe they're sending a rescue team for me but then she of course finds out that she has one of ins one inside her and she wants to kill herself that's how over it she is she just wants to be done she just wants it over she doesn't care about anybody else she doesn't care about those prisoners whereas before that's not who ripley was ripley would be like well no like i do care about other people and how do we get out of the situation whereas in alien three she was resolved to end it all for herself and then it was dylan that was like no if you carrying this thing can help us fight it then fuck you you know like we're gonna fight it um and ripley's heartbroken over that that, she, that he won't kill her and but it's dylan that snaps her back to life a little bit dylan is like no you gotta fight and then she realized she does have to fight and it's just beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And obviously we know that people have, some people have major issue with Alien 3, major, major issue with it. And I can understand that. It was an issue I never had. Um, I've told that story many times just because of where I was when I met Ripley at that time. And when I met Alien 3 at the time it was dark, so it mirrored sort of my own. So it just felt authentic to her. But I really feel like, again, the tone, this everything's terrible, it's not going to end well is what alien is. It's what alien should be. And I think a successful alien film, and I even, well, yeah, I'll just leave it. Uh, I'll leave it there for now. I think it, it really is the heart and the soul of the film. And it's a heart and soul that you don't find anywhere else, especially in popular entertainment. There's no other film franchise I can think of like that, that, that wraps itself in despair so beautifully, you know? Yes. Yes, there is. It's amazing. Like 2049. Blade Runner 2049 oh. wraps itself in despair. Absolutely. Well, it, uh, but yeah, but I don't think it ends there. I, I it think... doesn't end there. It doesn't. Which Alien 3 doesn't end there either. Alien 3 ends on tragic hope. She kills well, herself, but, and but, it's, but it's hopeful. But well, but it's, well, it's not hopeful because it's still her death, right? Like, there, Yeah, but, but it's hopeful that 
that she took the the alien queen with her and in, in her mind at that moment with this film she saved humanity from this terrible thing of course right. then we have we don't know where it's going to go. Of course, there's alien resurrection, but that's a, a very distant future. But that's the hope is that she sacrificed herself to keep that, to keep that queen from the grasp of Wayland right. Tani. But I, I, I feel like tonally they're still so different because to me, when okay. I watch 2049, the way it ends, it ends unmistakably with an, a door opening, right? I, I mean, it ends with their hands on the glass, but it, it mm. ends with like, we are stepping into a future now where it is unknown what will happen, but it is yeah. trending towards hope, right? Our hero yeah. does die at the end of the movie, right? Like, like K dies, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but his death, in a similar way to Ripley's death, I'll, I'll definitely give you that, brings about the possibility of new life, right? It brings yeah. about the possibility of a future. Yeah. But what I love about Ripley's death, and this is, I mean, I, I've talked about it many times. I think it's my favorite death scene in all of cinema history. I think it's one of the great moments ever. And that's why I hate the idea of retconning it. I think what I love about her death is that it is an annihilative event, right? So, it, it makes sense within this nihilistic universe that we're talking about for Alien 3 because the only way that it can end is through obliteration, is through annihilation, the act of actual nihilism becoming physical and real, right? So like all of the glimmers of hope in Alien 3, whether it be, you know, Clemens, whether it be Dylan, whether it be Ripley, you know, being able to get off the planet alive, all of these things are ripped very violently from us, right? Like Clemens dies, Dylan dies, Ripley dies of her own hand, right? All of these things are exploded as soon as they are presented as potentially hopeful. And yet in all of those deaths, there is small heroism, right? Like Clemens brings some degree of peace to Ripley, some degree of comfort. Dylan revives her spirit and gives her the will to kill this thing. And Ripley, of course, does this incredibly heroic act by taking the queen with her. Um, But all of those acts are obliterative. They are all... They're all death as a symbol for life, which is why I love Dylan's speech so much forever and ever and ever, even though I think you and I are disagree a little bit on this one. Yeah, I love I, it so much because because yeah. what it's he says is, but but to me, what he says is like, you know, is that it's, it's, it's the whole heart of the movie, which is that like only in obliteration can you find salvation, only in dis- total destruction can you find honesty. You know, only in the end of something can there be a beginning. A beginning can't just start in the middle of something, right? It has to end first. So I think for all of these convicts, right, like their their end was being commissioned to Fury 161, right? For Ripley, her end was crash landing there. For Clemens, his end was being arrested, right? All of these characters went through some sort of a tragic experience that ended any hope of ever returning to the life that they knew beforehand. And in that incredibly nihilistic, dark, bleak, moment found actual tiny tiny glimmers of hope and uh and that's why i just think it's it's like it's it's like uh you know if you shine a flashlight in the daytime you're not going to notice anything if you shine it in the middle of the night it's going to be blinding you know and 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 to me that's what alien is all about and that's that's why i think aliens is so tonally disjunct it's amazing that i mean i absolutely fucking love aliens i absolutely love aliens of course i have a poster of it right over here i fucking adore (laughs) aliens i really do but I also think that it's crazy that I do because it is so different from the heart of the first film that is like the best thing I've ever seen on, on a screen in my life, right? Like it is so the opposite. And what I love about this article, which again, for people who might've missed it in the beginning or people who are just joining us um, live, this article is called Alien 3 Understands the Nihilism at the Heart of the Alien Franchise. And it's by Darren Mooney and it was published right before Alien Day this year. Um, so if you look it up online, you can read along with what we're saying. Uh, what I love about uh, about the, what, what I think is so fascinating is that Aliens, as Mooney points out, is like a fairy tale, right? It's like it's very conventional in its structure, right? Although it has a fourth act. Other than that, it's it's very conventional. It's a it's a hero's journey story. The hero falls in love to a degree, right? The hero has a child to a degree. The hero it, it ends with the culmination of this new nuclear family, which is like, I mean, if you if you look at the ending of Alien what more directly hopeful ending could there possibly be? I mean, you left, you know, Ripley floating out in space, you know, leaving her daughter behind. And now she all of a sudden has all of these moments of salvation, right? Even the android, like even the robot who was so evil for her in the first film is now like her dog, right? Like she's so happy and so fulfilled and she's been through a lot, but she's made it. And that is so different from the tone of the first and the third films. And it's such a testament to why James Cameron is, is just crazy brilliant that, I still love that movie so much, even though it's so it's so different. And 
eight, we needed that movie in between these two. If it would have been three yeah, movies I think you're right. with the I same think you're right. tone, it might have been too much. I don't think Aliens betrays the tone of the Alien series. It's a needed break from the end and the beginning. That's a good point. That's a good you point. Know? Because you know what? And, to annihilate, you need something to annihilate, right? Yeah, you do. Lose, and, you have to have something. And Ripley really was annihilated in Alien 3. But one thing that I wanted to mention... One amazing thing about Ripley in Alien 3 and Dylan and then Morse, what did they not lose? Even though there was a lot of tension between Morse and Ripley in the beginning, by the end, Ripley had retained her humanity. Dylan, by sacrificing his life, retained his humanity. Morse, even though he was hit by the, the gun, was about himself enough to help Ripley do what she needed to do. These people remem- remembered what it was like, what what it is to be human in the face of not only the creature, but then Wayland yutani who was there saying, we want this thing. Wayland yutani all of the aliens were there saying, no, now we're here and we want it. And Ripley's humanity overtook that desire. Ripley's humanity overtook that sense of like, unabashed capitalism that just wanted to profit off the the suffering of the little people essentially and i think again that's what makes it brilliant makes it brilliant and what it's what makes ripley so brilliant is that she has retained her humanity and she, she goes through these valleys for sure she goes through these periods of like an alien and aliens of loss and death and destruction and how do we get out of here but every time, you know, whether it's that elevator moment in Aliens where she's going down and she's bringing herself back to herself. She's loading up the weapons. She's doing everything. But she's it's not about what she's doing with the weapons. It's what she's what it's what it's about what she's doing with herself. She's bringing herself into a place of center of being centered. And it's so important. And she does the same in Alien 3, um, despite the uh, the abject horror she's experiencing. Totally. Um, we have some great listener um, comments coming in too that I, I, I want to make sure we get to. Um, Let's before, do it. Yeah. So we'll pull it up. But I also want to say um, something in the article that I really appreciate and I want to make sure we get back around to um, is religiosity in this film because I think that's something really interesting. And also this film as a as a as a an annihilator of capitalism in and of itself, outside of the film itself. Um, so those are two things I want to bookmark. Let's get over to see what you, what you guys are saying here. Cause we got a lively chat going right now. Yes, we do. Um, let's go back up here a little bit. So, uh, yeah. So Stephen Gray says, uh, he agrees that Cameron's fr- family friendly, happy endings don't seem fitting in the horror realm. And that's where we are attracted to Ripley's strength through it. Baptism through hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Love it. And Connor likewise says, uh, Connor Murdoch says, exactly, the smallest amounts of hope are amplified by the overbearing despair. A candle will shine like a sun in the darkest rooms. Yeah. Michael Floyd says, Alien 3 reminded us that alien, the alien universe was not good guys versus aliens where we get happy endings and triumph. It's ruthless, unforgiving. It's a heart-wrenching movie that literally took people years to digest to come around to, myself included. It's become my favorite of them all. One thing about that, Death is like that. Do you know how long you grieve after death? You know how the, the grieving process lingers with you? It's hard for me to watch Alien 3 because you grieve Ripley all over again. Yeah. And it's something that isn't easy. I don't think in the realm of the universe that we love of Alien, it shouldn't be easy. We shouldn't be able to digest these films like that. Now, again, I grant, grant it, Aliens is more digestible. It's also the biggest moneymaker of, of the franchise. No wonder why. It's the most digestible. But Often, even as we move on to the prequels, as you continue to digest them and to go over them, they they flower in some ways. It's not all not all of them. Not eat both films on all the time, but you, I, I completely agree with what you said, Michael Floyd. It's it's exactly that. You have to. It, it is a process you have to go through, and uh, oftentimes films are released that aren't critically successful. They're not financially successful. And then years later, the fandom is like, oh, that's what that was about. You know, it just mm-hmm. takes a while. So, it, and, it, and it should, and art has to take a while. You know, it's okay for something, for you to be able to understand something at the first time you see it, but it's much more meaningful when something draws you back because you know there are things you missed in it. And you, and you, and you as you grow as a person through life, remember it and revisit it in your head. 
and you go, oh, I see it now. I see it now, you know? And it's very hard to do that with art. It's, I mean, Blade Runner is the perfect example of that, right? Where it's it's a movie where every time you watch it, it kind of feels like a different film. Um, Alien 3 is like that for me. Every time I watch it, it feels a little bit like a different movie because every there's, there's just so much going on in it. What's different, I, I guess in some ways Blade Runner is similar in that it was it was kind of a mess to make, but Alien 3 was like the like capital M mess in of, of a film production. It was just a fucking disaster the whole entire time. And I, and it's what's so miraculous about it is that all of those disastrous mistakes just kind of coinc just kind of collided with each other and made something really honest. Um, there's one more comment I want to read um, at the bottom, but something I want to say briefly is that um, I think if the film had ended any other way, I think I would absolutely hate it. I really do. I think that if the end, if the end of the film had ended with Ripley being okay, I think it would mean that Hicks and Newt had died for nothing. I think it would mean that um, we had suffered as an audience and as fans for nothing. And that's the honesty that I keep coming back to with this conversation is that the film ends with an absolutely bleak and yet honest and yet profound ending that yeah. we earn, right? That we earn because we feel that fucking pain in a very real way in the very first minutes of this film. And we carry that pain with us the whole time. And if a lot of filmmakers don't think that it's okay to do that. I mean, most, like there are no popular filmmakers working today making blockbusters that I can think of that treat audiences with that kind of intelligence anymore, where you start us off by, with just almost almost unfathomable pain, as, as especially for people like us who dress in this shit all the time and have tattoos and think about this all constantly. Like people who live with these films all the time, seeing Alien 3 for the first time are confronted with huge slaps in the face, right? And that is something that the first time you see it, you kind of have to hate it a little bit. You have to be uncomfortable with it. And then as the film goes on, it er you earn a redemption for yourself. You mm -hmm. earn this deeper understanding of what it means to obliterate and rebuild. Mm -hmm. And then when it ends with that incredible triumphant death scene, um, it it makes it feel like this entire journey has been worth it. And I, I mean the journey of the first three films. I, I think that like yes. that ending it like that means that it was all for something. Even though it was ultimately nihilistic, even though it was ultimately bleak, it was worth it. And that's why it's not anti-natalist. Okay, well, just a quick comment. I won't forget about it. Richard Brian Harris, who saw it in theaters, says um, he read the article a couple of days ago. He said, I'm another huge Alien 3 fan. What up, Richard? Good taste. He said, seeing it in the theater was shocking, but dark, dramatic, and gorgeous. I was probably the only one in the theater who walked out mostly satisfied. Um, yeah, I really wish that I could have seen it in the theaters, but unfortunately, I was a, a seven-year-old. So it was so close. It. I was so close. There's a couple things in the article that I forgot to start recording, so I already did, but I'll just download the... <laughs> Do you have um, to go back? or is it? Is no, it no, no. I'll just download the file from Facebook when, okay. when we're done. Um, okay. okay. But there's a couple things in the article that I take issue with, and I'm going to go right to them. And it says Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, had survived the original alien by rejecting gendered norms. In aliens, these gendered norms subtly reassert themselves as Hicks becomes a surrogate husband and Newt Carrie Hen becomes a surrogate daughter to Ripley, in keeping with Cameron's reoccurring preoccupation with the preser preservation of the nuclear family. Before I get into that, what do you think that he means by that? I think I know, but I, I want to have a discussion about this. Um, I, I just think that, it, I, I mean, I, I in some ways agree with that. I, I think that um, Aliens is very much about Ripley finding her way back to like a normal life. And I think the conception for James Cameron of a normal life for her would be having a husband and daughter and a family again, which I, I think is what a lot of people, you know, think of when they think about kind of finding peace, right? Like having a, having a family, right? Um, and uh, And I think that, it was, it's in some ways, I, I think that because of Sigourney Weaver's amazing presence and acting skills, and because the writing is more deft than that would suggest, I think it actually doesn't come across like that. But I think if you look at it on, on the page, yeah, like it is sort of like she's finding um, some redemption in a more traditional gender normed role. Although, of course, her actions are completely non-gender normative for 1980s cinema and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I, I can kind of see what he's saying. But what do you think? Okay. Well, I, I, was, I didn't know how to take that, to be honest with you. I was thinking that he was asserting the idea that she's not acting like a woman. But I do believe that traditionally, in terms of roles for women, 
No, those aren't roles that women had. I mean, you have Bruce Willis playing whatever that jerk was in those Die Hard movies. Um, and other action heroes, Kurt Russell playing, you know, Snake Plissken and Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. and Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in the Predator movies or Terminator movies. And you have, but also Ripley wasn't like any of those characters. Where most, most of those characters are these throwaway machismo garbage characters that are fun to watch, you know, for sure. They're entertaining. But Ripley isn't a throwaway character who's, um, I don't know what the, the female version of machismo is. Um, but she, because we had this discussion a couple years ago or a year ago at least, when someone had made the assertion that Ripley was gender neutral. And I was like, no, she isn't. In terms of like classic tropes of women being emotional and crying and all of those things. And I vehemently disagreed. She does all of those things. She cries. She feels, you know, she's, she is sad. She feels, you know, she has uh, uh, moments of motherhood. All of those things that are synonymous to women in terms of their journey as the female of the species Ripley experiences. She's just experiencing it in a way where she's the leader at the same time. And I think it goes back to the idea that a lot of men don't think women can do that at the same time. You're either mother or you're a leader. You cannot be both. Ripley was successfully both. And it's also sold in, in part, large part by Sigourney Weaver's character. And she almost mirrored Ripley in her own life. Ripley, uh, Sigourney Weaver didn't have a baby until she was in her 40s, like my age. She didn't have her first child. And she had that baby right before she she started filming Alien 3. So she has had also had to kind of walk a balance between her career and her family life. And then she had a family and she's continued playing Ripley again. She played Ripley again in Alien Resurrection. Um, so I... I completely reject the idea that Ripley isn't gen like um, a woman in the classic sense. She very much is. She's just, for lack of better terms, a strong woman. But further from that, she's a character. She's a person with integrity, with the ability to make good decisions, also imperfect, also maybe messing up at some times, but she's got integrity and she knows what's right. And if you write those characters well, it doesn't matter if they're female or male because we'll all do the same thing. We all should do the same thing. And Ripley does. I mean, that's why she's, she is a miracle of a character. And I could talk about her all day long. And I think she culminates in Alien 3 in terms of the sacrifice that she goes through. Dylan waking her up, even seeing Dylan sacrifice himself at the end, like you stayed, you go, I'll stay here with the beast because if, and she wanted to die, but she watched him be killed by this thing. And that woke her, in my opinion, woke her up to realize, okay, now the onus is on me. And so then she took that and did what she had to do. Yeah, totally. I think the discussions of, you know, Ripley's, um, you know, role vis-a-vis -vis gender are endlessly interesting. And, and, you know, we, we've had several of them on the show before, but it's something that I'm sure we will revisit again, partly because in Alien 3, um, you know, her more gendered aspects really are are really ripped from her, literally. I don't mean just physically with her hair and things like that, but also like the the role that was kind of set up for her by James Cameron at the end of the previous film of being like, you know, an actual mother in a, in a nuclear family again, that it's also torn away from her, right? Um, so, it's so clearly like the, the gendered aspect of her character is being played with in Alien 3 a lot. And it's hard not to notice that. I mean, she's also the only woman on the entire facility. She's subjected to a, a sexual assault, which, you know, luckily is thwarted before it actually happens, but it's close, you know. There are, and gender is something that Alien 3 doesn't shy away from and actually makes quite a point of. Um, something that Mooney points out in the article that also resonated with me that I hadn't thought of before actually, is that um, Clement's death is a reversal of the traditional um, results of, you know, wh whenever two characters in a horror film sleep together, it's always the girl that dies, right? I, I just had never thought about that. But in this film, you know, they consummate their their feelings for each other, and then Clemens dies, right? Which is just, a one again, a wonderfully deft and interesting gender non-normative way to treat these characters that I, I just love. And, and, and I think it's, it's something that is um, very nuanced. Uh, and I think that the film is just full of stuff like that. 
uh, something that I, I also, um, and you know, we have a lot of comments chiming in about how she is very female. And yeah, I think we can all agree on that and that her strength is um, very much rooted in that, regardless of whether or not it's always classically feminine or whatever that even means anymore, you know, who, who knows. Um, but it's a, it's a great conversation. Um, I want to, okay. Just something else about that. No, I just was, I, I do think one thing of note is that's interesting is when Ripley meets Clemens after they've, she's been woken up and she's shaved her head and they're getting to know each other. She sits there and says, are you attracted to me? And he's like, in what way? And she goes in that way. She's totally coming on to him. And that is yeah. not a gender norm in terms of how men write women. She, that never happens in movies where the women come on to the men. I mean, probably more in modern movies because things are becoming more unilateral uh, or more um, just things are becoming more equal. You can see mm -hmm. that a little bit more in movies these days. But back then, no way. And we have Ripley coming on to Clemens and he's sort of like, oh, really? Oh, OK. And, he, and he's very soft spoken and quiet. And she's a little bit more dominant than him. And that, again, that is not. And I remember when I was young seeing that and seeing Ripley sleep with Clemens or the aftermath of them waking up and thinking, oh, Ripley would never have done that in space. But I also didn't understand where Ripley was at at that time. Mm. Ripley was at the end of herself. What was there to lose? She's going to have a good time. She's going to feel good. And um, she was going to take, as she always does, she took matters in her own hand and she had herself a good time with the resident doctor um, and more power to her. Oh yeah. And, and, and I, I love how nonchalant she is about it, you know? And I love how when she says that in any other film I can think of released in the early 1990s, that would have been played one of two ways. One, it would have been played for like shock factor that she was the one coming on to him, or it would have been played like she's a hussy, right? Like I feel like in, in 80s films, you know, a lot of the time, if like the woman is like coming on to the man, it's kind of played for laughs, you know, like back to yes. the future. Or, or like, how dare and, and, you, what are you doing? Right, like, like, oh man, she's loose, right? Like, and it becomes like a thing. Whereas, in, I mean, in, in my life, having had women come on to me, you know, my wife, oh. including my wife, um, no, but like, but but it's just women act like that, just the way men act like that. Like, if you're interested I've had in somebody, come, I've had women come on to me too. Every day, I right now they're banging on the window. I can see them <laughs> outside. Um, it's just if, if, what I'm, what I mean is that people are people. Like, if people are interested in each other, like they will express it, right? Um, and I feel like a lot of screenplays were afraid to go there with women because they felt like there was too much baggage or they felt like the audience couldn't get it, right? And here you have the lead character who is the only character in this whole thing at this point that we can even identify with, you know, I, I mean, because I, I feel like at that point in the film, we are so shell-shocked from having lost everybody and from all the shit that's happening that we are like, please, Ripley, just like don't do anything that will make you unlikable or that will like turn anything you know against our perception of you because we need something heroic to hold to hang our hopes on as an audience I, and i don't mean us now i mean back in 1992 um and it's like such a a, a leap of faith for a screen for a screenwriter to do that for an audience back then because it, it would have been very easy for people to be like well kind of like you when you first saw it to, to be like she wouldn't do that like what the heck this isn't in keeping with her character because in some ways it's not until you take time and understand where she is and look at the way she she does that right Look at how she's not like in love with Clem. She's not even close to being in love with Clemens. She like is just basically looking for companionship and a little bit of of like time to just chill and to get a get boned and just kind of like and, be and happy. He's tender to her. How many yeah. people? So many people have not been tender to Ripley. He's probably the first. Hicks was certainly tender with her and uh, more of the classic female role than anything else and then she sort of you see that a little bit in clemens he's very tender he's very hands-off he's very respectful and to women that's an attractive thing when you have a man who who listens more when you have a man who waits to speak so i'm sure she was just like yeah uh let's have a good time and what else what else is there to lose we're not leaving anytime soon so yeah i think it's completely within her character and, and again, it's nihilistic. Again, it's sort of meaningless, right? Which which is great. How many movies would have a love scene, quote unquote, in the center of the film where it would feel like it was it was essentially like, like it was it was okay, that was worth it. Like, I'm, you know, I'm glad we got that out of our system. But there's no like, you know, big emotional, like, oh my God, like, is he going to call me back again? There's no, there's no like, it's just that. It's just kind of meaningless. It's just a moment of human interaction in the death of space. Um, and it's just, again, in keeping with the tone of the film, 
is nothing. It's not trying to be anything else other than what it is. And there's just no movies like that that I can think of. Um, you got to do the first part of your trivia. I do. So we're having a very big giveaway of a bunch of stuff that we've shared the photos of over and over. And so this is a two-part question. And the first part of the question, let me see if I can get it right. There's a moment in Alien 3 where you find out the name of something. And a lot of people we talked about, we talked about this earlier, didn't know. And so towards the end, I'm going to do the other part of that question. So there's a moment in Alien 3 where you see the name of something very specific um it's clemens and... name for his penis actually oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it is um it's called the neomorph no um so <laughs> it's the fucking hammer <laughs> <It's a hammer-peed. laughs> Uh so in a little bit i'll give the other half of that question and whoever answers this question right whoever i, I would imagine whoever sends us uh like We'll we'll give out an email address because everyone needs to are going to need to email us the, the answer. Um, we're going to choose a winner, um, and yeah, I, we'll see if people can figure this out. I we have experts who had no idea what I was talking about, so we'll see. Anyways, I got Con- Connor Murdoch has a guess for Clemens' penis's name. He says it's the needle, which I one hundred percent think that's probably what he would go with, and he oh, would go God. bing bing. Well, I think um, Ripley probably need a little bit more than a needle. Oh, oh, kick him out of bed. Into space. All right, hang I on. miss fucking Hicks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad that he just dies in the beginning of that movie. It is just, it is just so. And what I uh, love about it, again, hang on. What I love about it, again, talking about nihilism, is that there's a nihilism at the core of how this thing got made, which is that those decisions were made by a guy who didn't end up having any real input into the film. He just sort of, you know, made the first incredible draft of it but almost all of the elements of that were taken out, right? This is somebody who's like five generations, from, well, not the first draft, but one of, one of the first drafts of it, the third draft. So many generations removed from the actual film as we got it, right? But that decision that he made to kill off the two characters that we were kind of pinning all of our hopes on um, survived, right? Like that, like the, the, the tone of it was already so hopeless. I mean, if, even if you go back to like the Gibson script, right? It feels more like an aliens film to me, mm-hmm. even though it's mm-hmm. kind of grotesque. Like it's mm-hmm. still, it, it's it's much clearer who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and what's happening. Right? Rennie Harlan's script similarly is is the same kind of a thing, but Vincent Ward's script is like a dream. It's like an absolute. It's like being lost in a in a dream, and that and that that same characteristic I think is the tone of Alien Three. And I don't think it's a nightmare. I do think it's a dream. What were you gonna say? I th- I've had I just have an epiphany, and I think maybe the issue with the sequels and prequels after it, the issue is that capturing the tone is difficult. It's a very difficult thing. And knowing what the tone, I'll just talk about alien resurrection, why that film seems so tonally crazy. Yeah. Is because there is, they don't have the tone. They were going for some tone of aliens, but also alien alien, the alien universe has a specific tone and in terms of nihilism, there are elements of Aliens that have the tone of Alien Three, that have the tone of the original, of the original film. That's not the dominant tone, but it's there. There's moments where Ripley's in her apartment and she's smoking, and that famous shot of the cigarette where she's there, and you feel like hopeless. And she wakes up in the middle of the night, and her hair is wet, and she's soaked in sweat. You get that sense of nihilism. You get that sense of hopelessness. James Cameron right. taps into that. That's just not the story he was telling. That's not the tone he was going for. I think he realized it, but that's not the movie that he wanted to make. And then David Fincher realized, okay, we need to go back to this. And right. I think that's why, for me, Alien 3 feels a little more authentic. Um, You're right that there, there, are, there are bits of that tone in Aliens, and I think that's part of why it feels like it's appropriate. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is the treatment of it, because in Aliens those nihilistic moments are springboards to action, right? Mm-hmm. Like those moments of darkness and bleakness are things that impel Ripley forwards, things that that move the action forwards. In Alien and in Alien 3, those moments of nihilism are things that don't actually go anywhere and they exist only on their own. They exist only as statements of fact, not as statements of propulsion. And that I think is 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 why they feel why one and three feel a little bit closer to each other. But you're right, there is there is a tone in aliens that is. I mean, don't forget at the end of the day, you know, we see the destruction of dozens and dozens of families in aliens. We see 
a dream lost and shattered. We see people who have been impregnated and died and blah, 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 blah. So like this, it's, it's not a hopeful movie it in, isn't. A, in a, in a, in a sense of like overarching hopefulness, but it, it is a movie that thrusts towards hope, right? It's a movie that, that clearly is, is saying we can get out of this, that there is a nightmare we are running from just like in Vietnam, right? That like that we are trapped in a nightmare, but we're going to get home again. Right. And, Alien three, you're never getting home again. Yeah. And I, you could argue that Hudson succumbs to nihilism. Hudson succumbs to we're fucked. We're doomed. What does it matter? We're all going to die. Hudson is in that and Ripley and other people are like, get out of this because if we're going to escape, you have to get out of this place that you're in. And even Vasquez is like, Hudson, come on, stay cool. Like Hudson has lost it. He has become part of elements that Ripley becomes in alien three. So it's there. Mm -hmm. That's just it is there. It's below the surface. James there. James Cameron is is trying to tell a message of hope, and so the when you're telling a message of hope, what makes the hope stronger is when you play off it with hopelessness. No climate control. No video system. No surveillance. No freezers. No fucking ice cream. No rubbers. No women. No guns. All we got here is shit. Oh, what the hell are we even talking to her for? She's the one that brought the fucker. Why don't we just get her head and shove it through that fucking wall? It sounds good to me. I wanted to read something that uh, our friend Stephen Gray wrote. Um, and he said, some fans can't handle that in a weird way or venomously insist she would never do that. Okay. Um, never mind. I thought it was something different. Well, there are some comments, though, that first off, I want to say the uh, nicknames for Clemens penis are making me very happy over here. We have <laughs> they have not stopped the dragon. Stephen Gray, that's one of his. Uh, that is fucking brilliant. Um, I, I'm, so keep those coming. Not literally. That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the comments are I'm, I'm glad we only have like three people talking right now, but they're all making brilliant things up. So if anybody is on the fence about joining please join and contribute to this conversation because it's it's great and we're going to read more of it. But if it's okay, I want to take a second. There was something else in the article I wanted to come back to. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. I, I'm so, going back to myself right now. Okay. So something that I love about it is that there is a, a nihilistic aspect to this film outside of just the story of the film, but within the continuity of the Alien franchise. Because... This was a movie that was basically like an atomic bomb dropped on future films. This was a movie that said, we have a story to conclude and we are going to end it by killing off our main character, by sabotaging any hope of this going on. We're going to kill off, you know, the, the, the potential hero in Hicks, you know, outside of Ripley. We're going to, you know, we're going to kill off Newt being the, you know, carrying this torch into the future. We're going to kill off any idea of Wayland Jutani being destroyed or anything. Like, this is just, we are going to say enough is enough. These films have been wildly successful and wildly interesting. But as any great story needs, it has to end. And, um, and you know, I don't think that that was their intent, though. They weren't, they weren't intending, they wanted it to be successful. It wasn't. It killed it. It killed the franchise. But if you time. look at it from a story standpoint, I mean, because at this point, I, I think that in some ways it was, and I think Sigourney Weaver had a lot to do with it because I think she was saying, <laughs> wagging my beer. I think, I think that, um, I mean, how else could it be interpreted, right? She was the heroine of this entire no, franchise. Right? I agree. I agree. I'm just saying, I don't think the point of 20th Century Fox was to kill off the franchise. I think they wanted it to be, because they would have come, well, they did come up with the sequel, but that was years five years later, but they wanted it to be far more pleasing or satisfying to us than it was. Um, and they also wanted the box office results to look that way too. They yeah. wanted the people to be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is hard, but it's amazing. And most for most people, it wasn't amazing. It sucked. And it did suck. <laughs> like this movie is you know? hopeless. Yeah. 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 But now, so now, see, now I'm thinking, you know what? We need another episode in the series, the series that will never end. Which is good. That's fine. It, yeah. Which, yeah, I, the series is going to be We got eight more episodes coming. Ever. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're getting back to Prometheus, I promise. But another episode I would love to do is the aftermath of Alien 3, because we haven't really talked about that, right? 
I'm curious about what 20th Century Fox was thinking was going to happen after this was made. Like, because in some ways I knew they were throwing in the towel by the end of this, along with Brandywine. They're just like, this is just absolutely, this this film, we need to just get it out. Like, it is late, it's expensive, everything's a mess. Like, we just let's just end this and then figure out what to mm-hmm. do next. I'm kind of wondering what they were thinking was going to happen because you're right, from a business standpoint, they didn't want it to end, right? But, uh, but they were setting up a movie that... Uh, obliterated chances of it going anywhere with that, at least with their main character who at that point was already iconic. I mean, one of, one of my f- favorite collection items is entertainment weekly from the week the alien three came out and Sigourney Weaver's on the cover and it says, you know, my 14 year affair affair with an alien. And it's like, you know, she's on the cover of, of time magazine. She's on the cover of these incredible things. And, uh, and she was known everywhere, you know, as a heroine and they kill her off in this. I mean, they shave her head and they kill her off. It's like, you know, how it's, it's, it seems to me like they were saying, let's end it but they weren't saying let's end it because they didn't disband this relationship with brandywine they didn't they didn't abandon their plans for future films right so what the hell were they thinking was going to happen the cloning well, storyline wasn't out yet like they didn't have any idea about doing that i think they were trying to put ripley to rest and come up with some new stories and that is an interesting thing to think about yeah yeah i mean but i also and you know this very well they didn't know what the fuck they were doing they didn't they yeah. haven't known what the fuck they were doing since james cameron left and yeah. the moment they had a good idea and James Cameron and Ridley Scott sat down to write a fifth Alien film, they were like, oh no, we're going to make Alien versus Predator. That'd be great. Um, it's just like that. Um, uh, so Fox never knew what they were doing. They didn't, they didn't, they wanted to take a little bit of the recipe for Alien and Aliens and throw it together again and again and again. And it just didn't work. And it never worked because that's not how you make movies. So I don't, I think all they wanted was mo- a movie to make money. They don't know how to, most of the time, movie studios don't know how to, they don't know how to achieve that. They don't know how to make a movie that is successful unless it's like an event film or a roller coaster ride like the Transformers movies or Michael Bay films, which are, are what they're supposed to be in a way. But with the more gritty stuff, it's it's a lot of work. I mean, well, I don't want to use, talk about that movie because you keep yelling at me for bringing it up. Oh, were time. you going to talk about Star Wars again, James? Yes, I was. going um but i don't think that they knew what they were doing they've never known what they're doing i don't think that they know what they're doing now they're right now they're they're thinking what's going to work and how do we make it work and how do we make it success, successful and hopefully but also they didn't know what the hell they were doing with alien 3 either that's the thing like from the very beginning of that but process. they did know they did they did but then they gave it to fincher then they changed their mind at the end they're like oh no fincher dropped out said i don't I, I disowned myself and you know first they were going to go with vincent ward and then he dropped out of it too like they started to know what they were doing well they no but they they had no they had gibson do two different scripts for them they I know. had Rennie harlan they had ward oh, yeah, yeah. they had they had they had like f- fucking nine other people working on various drafts of this thing then they had brandywine do a rewrite then they had fincher do a rewrite of brandywine's rewrite of the previous four scripts that had already come so by the time that they were shooting with this thing this this thing made no sense at all and i would agree also fox yeah. wasn't even providing any input at this point yeah. fox was just well like, where the fuck is this movie like they're just waiting for it to be done and they were making editorial decisions too overriding yeah. fincher um, on on right. everything, on everything, and it was pissing him off, of course. So I mean, I don't, I, 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 I think in probably in their minds they're like, oh, let's do what we did, let's find a great creative like James Cameron. But with James Cameron, they trusted him. They did not trust these yeah. other people for whatever reason. And that's they, what's and, so fascinating is why yeah. not? Yeah, you know? they should have trusted him because they were new, because they were untested. It happens so all the James time. James Cameron. That's the thing. Is James Cameron had two films to his credit. Right, Ridley yeah. Scott had one film to his credit. Yeah. David Fincher yeah. had not no films; he had music videos. But 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 look, but they were right. That's what's so cool. David Fincher, in the decades since Alien Three came out, has gone on to be one of the most successful, most beloved Academy Award-winning filmmakers of his generation. That's right? why I wish he would just suck it up and come back to it and say, "Oh, I want to rework this again." Like I know every time people talk to him about, it, he's like, "No, I don't want to talk about it." Like, come on, man. Like just. But I, at the same time. He used the term. He felt like he was raped when he was yeah. making the film. And he was twenty-seven take, years old. I mean, he was yeah, he was he very was a young kid when he made this baby, thing. baby. And he and had he worked as a, a second unit cameraman on Return of the Jedi. Of the Jedi. He had a lot of yeah. a lot of credit to him, but they didn't trust him. They trusted the studio. And this is, but we've seen this type of thing before, or we've read about it. Like, look at what they were doing to Ridley Scott during uh, Blade Runner. Look at where. Look what what. 
people were doing to James Cameron during the production of Aliens. This type of thing happens over and over and over. Look at what happened with Star Wars in terms of the behind the scenes. Kathleen Kennedy coming in, making editorial, directorial decisions, firing, changing things. Most We see the aftermath of that. So this stuff is all over um, the studio filmmaking world and it's a miracle that these movies even get released because there's so much studio involvement and there they is don't but, know... but the budget calls for that i mean that's the thing too is, is that th that kind of thing happens on almost every single movie that has that's a true. budget like that. I, mean, I mean like the, the budget that it takes to make a sci-fi movie is astronomical right no pun intended um unless you're <laughs> doing like a time like moon or something that's very intimate like th this these movies cost a lot of money what's what's so there's an interesting paradox here which is that it costs a lot of money to make a good science fiction film, usually. But a good science fiction film always really relies on having an artistic vision behind it and having some mm -hmm. sort of a deep, honest reason for being, right? So in order to get money, you know, the studio has to appease its financiers and it has to appease the, all the people it has distribution that deals with and things. And it has to basically guarantee that it's going to put something out that's going to get butts and seats when it comes to the theaters, right? Um, and so to do that, the studio, which has a lot of business sense and a lot of experience making films, wants some say in what happens with the movie. Absolutely. Which I think is totally of understandable. And, and that's the way that this works, right? Yep, yep, it is. And in a but good there's a situation, balance there. There's a right, balance right. there where they, they're watching out for their financial interest, but they're also honoring the voice of the auteur, the director. Like I was right. watching some behind the scenes for 2049, which I hadn't seen on the 4K. And you had Andrew Kosov and the other gentleman, the African-American guy from Alcon, on set, talking to actors, involved. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it makes sense, I think. But at the end of the day, they honored Denny's vision. Right. And, and there's so the many circumstances that... Cameron's vision. They did. and But Cameron had to fight real hard for that. Ridley yes, had to did. fight real hard for that. Yeah. Fincher... George Lucas had to fight really child. hard for of course, yeah. yeah. But Finch, Fincher was a music video director with barely any experience who came into this thing after it had been through so many rewrites that it didn't even make sense anymore mm -hmm. by a studio who was already running late and already running over budget on these things mm -hmm. and, and was already angry. And, and there was, was a trailer out saying it was going to be something else and it wasn't yes. going to be that. It was so a, it's He a walked into a, a landmine, right? A minefield, rather. Uh, and, and that's just, again, part of why this movie is such a crazy miracle is that it ended up being the most poetic out of any of the alien films i, yeah. I really it's just, because it's, just I think, it's a movie that is endlessly fascinating and it's some of the best things and we've said this over and over are born through struggle it's just true some of the the best work from us as people doesn't matter if it's art or whatever comes through struggle oftentimes our relationships are better after struggle after we're struggling to understand each other and sometimes a movie is better after we're struggling to understand it or to engage it, it, that's certainly subjective. It depends. Sometimes people love it. Sometimes people don't. But generally, life tends to be struggle, and we appreciate life because we n appreciate the struggle. So it, it it makes sense that you have to fight hard for your vision. You have to fight hard for something that you want, for something that you see. It does. Um, but, but you I have think to see it with Fincher. You have to want it. He was, I don't think was, Fincher did. Well, Fincher it was a stacked deck. I mean, they'd been through so many people before. They didn't give a shit about him. They didn't. Right. Um, they didn't give a sh I mean, because they took everything and they rewrote it and they, they re-edited it and Frencher walked away and they, you know, I mean, and we still see that same stuff going on today. Um, oh, yeah. It's been that way. It's been that way for, I mean, I mean it, it used to be even more oppressive than that in the 30s and 40s and 50s in the RKO era where, you know, everybody was under contract and the studio dictated basically everything unless you were some sort of a megastar who could push against that. Like, yeah. I mean, it used to be even more of an assembly line mentality than it is now you know and that's of course why it's great that we have independent studios that have sprung up in the intervening decades to allow for more creative freedom for people on a smaller budget but yeah. 20th century fox you know never put this out under searchlight and never put it out under a subsidiary label it was always on this mainstream thing yeah and i think that that in some ways is what shoots these films in the foot a little bit before they're out of the gate because they're kind of set up to be art house films but they're released not like an art house film would be released, they're released like so tentpole films they're released like, like ten like star wars so there, there's this this big paradox there, you know. Um, before we wrap, you need to get back to your question, and also I there's like a bunch of comments that I want to make sure. We yeah, get let's back get to, to it. Okay, too. so the last part of this question is uh, I'll repeat the first part. In Alien Three, there's a name that you see on somewhere, and the name is describing <laughs> the unit, the prison unit, the unit, 
Um, the unit. Um, <laughs> it's describing the prison unit. What is the name of the prison unit from Alien 3? You do not type it in the comments, please, if you know it. If you do know it. Nobody, nobody e- knows this. It's it's not Fury 161. That's not what the question is about. Yeah, that's I, the name I, of the planet. I, uh, right, duh. yeah, <laughs> but it, it's 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 Jamie has a it's a different thing than that that you're not going to know um, unless you go. So if you know, or if you want to find out, or if you think you know, please send your your answers to perfectorganismpodcast at gmail dot com, perfectorganismpodcast at gmail dot com, and tell us your answer. We'll see if anybody finds it. It's yeah, we'll see. I wanted to oh, make it hard. Nice. It needed to be real hard. Big fucking hard unit. <laughs> Big fucking hard unit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's bonus points if you come up also with the best name for Clement's penis possible. Yeah. Those two things, I think, will we'll It's called we'll Clementine. Clementine. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of adorable. Um, I, yeah, I, need this... Clem- I need Clemency. Okay, come on. Clemency? <laughs> oh my God, Jamie. <laughs> this is uh i th- i think this is this is a, such a fascinating conversation and i think that um i'm really glad we have so many people who, who are contributing over here in the comments and again we are doing um more and more of these lately as, as you can tell these live episodes and we're you know we'll try to give at least a few days heads up um but please do join because it's 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 so fun it, i really feel like even though i'm having a hard time you know following as i'm speaking I'm, I'm really feeling like i'm in a room full of like friends and we're all just having this like lively conversation about these movies and it's yeah it's amazing. It's it's crazy that you know we've been in this COVID era for so long now that even more than usual. We can't remember I, I anything else. Like, oh, oh, well done. <laughs> um, I feel like it's that's that was actually very good. That was that was a very good uh, reference. That, that, there. That's a that's a meme that might have to go up. Yeah. That, oh, that should you just birthed a meme. That I work in social media marketing. <laughs> yeah, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag social media um what the fuck was i talking about uh oh so 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 that we've been doing this so long i mean you know you and i have been doing these podcasts now for years together you know so i'm I'm very used to seeing you and talking to you on on this but like i'm I'm getting also so used to the idea of just everybody else being virtual who's joining too so it doesn't really feel like weird anymore like i really feel like you guys are all here with us talking so so please do join and please do contribute you guys are awesome um i I cannot let this go without reading stephen gray's comment about covenant thank you stephen because i was going to bring this up which is that um (laughs) <laughs> that's why he loves Covenant in such a weird way. Uh, it carries such a strong sense of nihilism in the same vein that Alien 3 does, just with a way different and even more haunting perspective through the absence or elimination of humanity through David, as opposed to Ripley, who tries to inject humanity into hopelessness. Screw the haters. Yes, so I, I did want to bring this up screw because to me, screw the haters, to me, that's why I love Covenant. Because the themes in Covenant speak very, very strongly to the themes in Alien Three, which speak very, very strongly to the themes in Alien and the first film. And I would, what's agree. I would actually very agree. subtle, I think. And 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 what I love is that like this character of David morphs into an agent of nihilism in Covenant. Right? He is the end, and he is the beginning. Right? So just like we were saying this whole time that you know, like just as as in death there lies the promise of a flower. Right? ends require beginnings and i think that in covenant what's so great about it is that his whole vision is based around that 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 through destruction you can have creation and that that's like this holy goal that he has in alien 3 the god figure is the xenomorph right this is brought up in that article as well everybody calls him i love the william blake references everybody calls him the demon right or the dragon um in covenant the God figure is David, which is this wonderful hubristic take on the God figures of the engineers and, the, and Prometheus, right? I, I love that you have David um, through acts of nihilism, thinking that he can bring about new life. And, and to watch that play out in such dark and unforgiving and grotesque ways is just so great. For well, and David is also the supreme annihilator. He came yeah. to that planet and he annihilated everyone who lived on it. I mean, right. to create to- life. Yeah, to, he wanted to destroy to create life for sure. Yeah. Now, I, I I would agree with you. I just don't. I think, unfortunately, all of those really great things are mired in a lot of the shitty things that are in that movie. But we're gonna get to that movie, and I can't wait in another series at some point later on this year. Whatever. It's gonna be called Covenants and Masterpiece, James and Idiot. That's great. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anything else that we want to read before we? That's all. Let me. And this uh, shit. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for participating and having so much. Richard fun. Brian Harris. Thank you. Uh, he's Orion uh, Devlin. There we go. G McDonald. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining. Look at this. We got all these people who were weren't talking, but they were just kind of hanging out with us. That's nice. Thank you guys. Um, you're the best. Yeah, you guys seriously. are amazing. Um, and and uh, please. Uh, else? Connor Murdoch. We miss you. Where have you been? 
you've got a baby, you've got a full-time job, you're never on the internet anymore or on social media. It's a much happier place not being on social media. But if you are on I'm social sure, media, I'm you sure. should like and subscribe so you don't miss these live episodes in the future. I feel like a YouTuber. Yeah, right so uh, I, I would say that that is a wrap. Uh, I'll just, last thing, we have a Patreon. If you guys want to contribute, you can start at $2 a month. You can get our, our shit show, which we're overdue for an episode. We're going to work on that pretty soon. You get our frame rate show which is uh, a movie review show which is fantastic we have a shit ton of movies that we've reviewed and a bunch of more coming up a bunch of more uh a bunch more coming up um so two you can start at two dollars a month pledge however much you want uh it's been going for a long time it's really really great thank you guys so much thank you for giving us over ten thousand likes and being the number one alien podcast in fandom yeah <laughs> so thanks guys we'll talk to yes, you soon best thank you for more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit PerfectOrganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit PerfectOrganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.